A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we drew courage through our God to speak to you the gospel of God with much struggle. Our exhortation was not from delusion or impure motives, nor did it work through deception. But as we were judged worthy by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that is how we speak, not as trying to please men, but rather God, who judges our hearts. Nor indeed did we ever appear with flattering speech, as you know, or with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek praise from men, either from you or from others, although we were able to impose our weight as apostles of Christ. Rather, we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother cares for her children, with such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So dearly beloved had you become to us. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Forever I will sing the goodness of the Lord. The favors of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations, my mouth shall proclaim your faithfulness. For you have said, my kindness is established forever. In heaven, you have confirmed your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. Forever will I confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him, that my hand may be always with him, and that my arm may be made strong. My faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and through my name shall his horn be exalted. He shall say of me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Johannem. 
After Jesus had revealed himself to his disciples and eaten breakfast with them, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter answered him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. He then said to Simon Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon Peter answered him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that he had said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Verbum Domini. Simon Peter's story that he denied our Lord, wept bitterly, but he repented, came back to the Lord, and the Council of Trent spoke of this as being his institution here as the first pope, that he is the rock that Jesus told him, you know, he was called to be in Matthew's gospel. And it seems like a central role there for him is to feed the lambs, to feed and tend the sheep. He is uh, the vicar of Christ on earth, the, the popes, the successors of Peter. They are to provide leadership and guidance and to be feeding the church. And I think of feeding especially in the, certainly the truth of doctrine, the beautiful teachings of the church, and also in the sacraments that we are fed truly, supremely in the Eucharist, the bread of life. Pope St. Pius X was known as the Pope of the Eucharist. He was Pope from 1903 to 1914. His motto was to renew or to restore all things in Christ. We had that in the opening prayer. And I think especially when we talk about the Eucharist, that is where that's happening, right? That that is the, the heart and mystery of the church, this communion among men and with God that ecclesiology, Vatican II, and subsequent theology after the Council spoke of this ecclesiology, this theology of the church of communion. Communion with one another in the sacred banquet we come to celebrate, but it's communion with one another in Christ, at the sharing and the very communion of the Trinity. In fact, we come and receive communion, we call it, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Pius X, he began work on the Code of Canon Law, which would be promulgated after his death, 1917, for a successor. He reformed seminaries, buffed up their, strengthened their libraries and teachers for seminary formation. Also, he did great work in the formation of the people of God, of the laity. He compiled a catechism. Pius X Catechism is known today. He had a reform 
of the liturgy, especially in regards to sacred music, and he founded the Pontifical Biblical Institute. And this is 11, year, 11 years as a pope. He's quite busy, energetic. The true Christian spirit, he would say, is, has its first and indispensable source in active participation in the sacred mysteries, active participation in our celebration of the sacraments. So he would encourage people to receive communion often, even daily, which at the time was rare. Many would just receive once a year, receive communion once a year. And he lowered the age of First Communion from 12 to seven years old. Seven believed to be the age of reason, where a person could distinguish that this isn't ordinary bread. This is the Eucharist, the bread of life, the body, blood, soul, and divinity, that a person could understand that doctrine. Doesn't mean that they have perfect understanding of the faith, but you know, some understanding, especially understanding to some degree what the Eucharist is. Pius X would say that Holy Communion is the shortest and safest way to heaven and would encourage frequent, even daily, communion as a source of strength and protection. In his catechism, he would say that the Eucharist is the greatest act of religion, most pleasing to God, most meritorious for us. It's the greatest prayer of the church, the greatest prayer that we can offer. And that he would tell, teach in the catechism that people are to offer the Eucharist in union with the priest, reflecting on his cross. And we would emphasize today as well, his cross and resurrection, his paschal mystery. We receive communion that fosters this union with the divine victim being offered up. He would teach in this catechism that it preserves and increases grace, the life of the soul, just as bread does for the life of the body. Receiving communion takes away venial sin, preserves us from mortal sin, source of protection and strength, that it gives spiritual joy and consolation by increasing charity and the hope of eternal life of which it is the pledge of. So when people ask, what do I get out of mass? Or the preaching isn't very good, or the music isn't very good. <laughs> Read this list to them. Live this list out. Recognize it in ourselves that this, you know, the Eucharist, I had a friend of mine who, due to his daily duties and obligations, and we, we do put this in the context of our state and life, what we're able to do, but my friend who couldn't go to daily communion at one point in his life, then things changed and he was able to go. And I remember he told me, he said it was just such a source of strength for him. He said it was so strengthening. And the breviary of the divine office on Corpus Christi, the, the phrase is used, pledge of future glory, from Thomas Aquinas, his office on Corpus Christi. And that phrase is taken up in the Vatican II, his document of the liturgy, and it says, at the Last Supper on the night when he was betrayed, our Savior instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood. 
He did this in order to perpetuate the sacrifice of the cross throughout the centuries until he should come again, and so to entrust to his beloved spouse, the church, a memorial of his death and resurrection, a sacrament of love, a sign of unity, a bond of charity, a paschal banquet in which Christ is eaten, the mind is filled with grace, and a pledge of future glory is given to us. Perpetuates the sacrifice of the cross, that his sacrifice is represented to us at every Mass, that we can share in that, we can offer up our lives, our cross with his. That cross, his cross, gives us strength to take up ours. It's a memorial of his death and resurrection that we receive his resurrected body. And it's a pledge of the future glory that that eternal life, in a very real sense, begins here. That peace, that joy that we long for, that strengthening, that separation from sin can begin here, especially in the Eucharist. John Paul II, in his great document on the Eucharist, Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the Church draws her life from the Eucharist, he writes that this pledge of the future resurrection comes from the fact that the flesh of the Son of Man, given as food, is his body in its glorious state after the resurrection. With the Eucharist, we digest, as it were, the secret of the resurrection. For this reason, St. Ignatius of Antioch rightly defined the Eucharistic bread as a medicine of immortality, an antidote to death. We don't receive the dead Christ. We receive his resurrected body that's filled with the Holy Spirit, that's transformed by that Holy Spirit, suffused with the Holy Spirit. So I'm, I'm receiving that bread of life that's full of life. How can it not strengthen me? St. Augustine would say, how could we not rise from the dead after feeding on his body and blood? The grave cannot keep us in the ground. We're receiving his body, blood, soul, and divinity at every Eucharist. John chapter 6, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Divine life. Our world can offer us lots of human life, lots of natural life. We eat right, we exercise, get proper rest, do whatever else they tell us to do, right? It's endless. <laughs> that goes so far in this world. We're getting a life from above. Jesus says, he who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise them on the last day. And many disciples left him at the end of that chapter in John 6. This is too much. This saying's too hard. Peter says, where else can we go? You have the words of everlasting life. I can't get this from the world. Therapy won't take, you know, won't give it to me. My doctor can't give it to me, this eternal life. We know that the Eucharist was instituted the night before he was to die. He says, in celebrating the Passover meal, that this, he says over the bread and the cup, this is my body which is given for you. This chalice which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
In the middle of all that, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Council of Trent said, this is at the moment of ordination for these men to go and to do this in remembrance, to perpetuate this Eucharistic meal he's, he's celebrating. It's for us. His life is given for us. So we speak of the Eucharist as a true sacrifice and the real presence that we consume, that we receive in communion. Therefore, it's the center of the whole Christian life. The other sacraments in every ministry of the church and every work of the apostolate are linked with the Eucharist and directed toward it. It contains the spiritual, the entire spiritual good of the church, Christ himself. This is all from church documents. It's the summit of both action by which God sanctifies the world in Christ and worship we offer to Christ. We're redeemed by the cross and his resurrection, sanctifying the world, and we can offer him the highest possible form of worship that we can, the greatest act of religion. Right? Religion gets a bad name, even in essence today, right? We like to say we're spiritual, not religious. I'm not bound up with all those practices. You know, talk to the women of the World Cup right now. Did they get there without practices? <laughs> they made that number one in their life. Go to soccer camps. Go to the whole feeder system that Europe has now for, soccer, for women in soccer. We need to practice our faith. We need to hear the gospel proclaimed again and again. I got fired up just reading this stuff. We celebrate Mass every day. Go to seminary. I need to hear it again and again and again because it gets routine. I take it for granted. These are mysteries of our faith that I can never fully comprehend. I can always go deeper into them and marvel at this great gift that's offered to us. You know, it's a source and goal of evangelization. All our good works flow forth from the Eucharist and bring everything back to it, to be renewed, restored in Christ, as Pius X would say. And yet, we can have this reductive understanding. It's just a fraternal meal, a fraternal banquet. It's just our coming together, that we, as a people, you know, impute some meaning to it. Now, this is a sacrament of the church, one of seven, source and summit of the Christian life. It's doing something. It's not just a profession of our faith. It's transforming us to be members of his body. It's not like when I eat other earthly food, turn it into my body. I'm eating the bread of life that's transforming me into his mystical body. The Catechism quotes that the sacraments make the church, that it's building up the body, it's doing something real, it's giving me sanctifying grace. And then I can have even adoration outside of Mass, which prolongs and intensifies what takes place in the Mass. I can go and simply sit in his presence, I can rest in his presence. The world's always pushing us to do more, to have more, to experience more. We need to be more. Yet the Eucharist 
we are fed, we're filled with sanctifying grace. We become more by being joined to Jesus. We can have the fullness of divine life. But that begins here, in this side of eternity even. Christ is present in the church, and he is the source and principle of divine life. He's sanctifying us, giving us life. He's transforming us, giving us the new mind of Christ, making us new creations that were made temples of the Holy Spirit. And now we have God within us, operating, directing us, strengthening us, giving us wisdom, counsel, knowledge, understanding. You ever face challenges you don't know what to do? Decisions you need to make? You have the Holy Spirit in us. We have this communion with the very Trinity, especially in the Eucharist. The church draws her life from the Eucharist. It transforms us into his body. It is a great gift. It is the pledge of future glory. And it's, I just close with this, that it's, it's also linked so powerfully with the sacrament of confession that I need to be absolved from mortal sins before I come and receive him. Those two go hand in hand. You know, they, they must, they work together, they grow together. We need to practice both to have fruitful receptions of the Eucharist.